Good afternoon, producer Susan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jersey Joe. How are you? I'm doing good. Did you, you didn't get flooded out, did you? No, actually it just started to rain here. We're in the middle of a torrential downpour right now. 30 miles here in New Jersey, they had all sorts of people getting flooded away, houses being washed away. Oh uh, my gosh. Oh yeah. Up around what in West Point, they had eight inches of rain in West Point in two hours. Oh my gosh, uh, I missed the news. Oh no, it's it's been uh, it's been a, a, a gigantic flooding around here. It's just been huge. So yeah, no, no I must have been hiding water. underneath a rock the last okay. couple of days. Um uh they didn't catch that escape murderer yet, did they? Uh, living up up by you? Uh, I thought they did, but maybe there's another one. Well, no, Again, after the, apparently after been this hiding under the rock. <laughs> as of this morning, they hadn't. And, you know, and I pointed out to somebody, and of course, this is in a very rural area. Um, and of course, you know, where police response time is 15, 20 minutes, maybe. If there was an escaped murderer who's been on the loose for six days and you lived up there, wouldn't you feel better if you had a gun in your house? Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad that I do. I'm glad that I have a dog who uh, barks at strangers and a gun in my nightstand. A gun in your nightstand. And imagine how insecure you would feel if you didn't, if there was an escape murder who's been on the loose for six six days in your rural part of the state and you don't have a gun. How insecure are you going to feel? I All had right. no idea this was happening. Thanks for the heads up. Yes. All right. Um, all right. Here we go. Got a, a ton to get to. Probably not going to make it. Um, if we do, I'll surprise myself. But here, here we go. Our quote of the week is from Winston Churchill and the difference between pessimist and optimist. And I only had one stupidest thing of the week until I read something about ring doorbells yesterday. And now I have two things that we'll have to pick from. The first is a claim by Wired magazine that if you install a ring doorbell camera, that it contributes to racial profiling. And the second is about a piece of legislation proposed in California to require judges to take into account a person's race when handing out sentences for crimes the person's been convicted of. Uh, the listeners are going to have to decide, and uh, we're going to ask you to decide too. We'll tell you about how the mayor of New York City got himself into trouble over a faked photo he claimed he's been carrying in his wallet for 20 years. In our stupid and pointless piece of legislation segment, we'll tell you about a new piece of legislation in Colorado that is going to ban this, the sale and use of gas-powered lawn equipment in cities like Denver. We'll tell you how to increase how an increase of just one percent in the population of New York City is creating chaos in that city and what it will cost the city. We'll share with you the evolution of the agriculture industry in the United States and the role that capitalism played in that evolution. We'll tell you where a hailstorm destroyed a $25 million solar energy farm in 15 minutes last week, and then ask the question: are wind and solar truly reliable sources of energy? And in a related story, we'll play a clip of an official of the U.S. Department of Energy who's testified before a congressional committee advocating that more incentives be given uh, to uh, incentivize the, the purchase of electric vehicles. And he's asked a simple question, how much energy does the United States use every year? Uh, going to be interesting to see what his answer to that. And finally, our taxpayer relief shot comes to us from San Antonio, Texas, where a man who's withdrawing money from a drive-up ATM shoots and kills not one but two men who try to rob him. You think we're gonna? How much of that you think we're gonna fit in? Uh, yeah, you always seem to amaze me by fitting most <laughs> of it in. All right. Anyway, um, here's a quote of the week from Winston Churchill, the late Winston Churchill, obviously, and he says, and I, I love this because uh, he said a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity whereas an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Mm -hmm. um, 
First of all, do you agree with that? And do you know any pessimists and know any optimists? Uh, I, I do agree with that. And uh, I know people of both. And I, I tend to be optimistic about everything, as I believe you are as well. Right. Do you know how many millionaires and sometimes billionaires have been created by uh, seeing opportunities and difficulties? How many, you know, how many great inventions? I would say probably most everybody. Yeah. I mean, you see, you see a difficulty, say, wait, I've got an idea. I know how to fix that. That's, you know, people have gotten, I mean, not just a handful, countless of people. If you look at all the inventions, you know, the old saying that necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. Think of all the inventions that were driven by uh, people coming up with ideas how to solve difficulties. Mm-hmm. You know, even going back to the cotton gin where people used to pick out the cotton seeds by hand. Well, Eli Whitney saw difficulty, right? Look how difficult it is. Look how difficult it is to clean cotton, mm-hmm. and he came up with the cotton gin. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, Willis Carrier. Of course, I worked for Carrier for many years. Uh, in a in a printing factory, they would have problem uh, in the printing because the humidity would swell the paper and the ink wouldn't hold. And so the problem was, how do we prevent? How do we control the humidity in this factory? So it doesn't screw up our, our printing process. And he came up with air conditioning. So there's the opportunity and the difficulty. Uh, we experienced that very problem at work today. Uh, in the printing? Uh, yes, the ink is uh, not sticking to the glossy paper. Because <laughs> it's not because it's too hot necessarily, but because it's too humid. Too humid, Everything right. Too wet. More air conditioning. All right. So we're going to have two, we're going to move on to the stupidest thing I've heard all week. And uh, producer Susan, we're going to ask you to be the first, first pick, the first vote. So yesterday, Wired, Wired Magazine uh, has, has come out and say they don't recommend that people buy and install ring doorbell cameras because they quote, believe that uh, people who install uh, ring cameras and then forward the videos to the police when there's been a crime in the neighborhood that ring doorbell cameras contribute to the practice of racial profiling. That's one. I won't ask you for your opinion yet. Here's the second one. Now, the um, the Statue of Justice outside courthouses wears a blindfold. You know, you knew that, right? Mm-hmm. Because of justice supposed to be blind, right? Yes. Well, here's a quote from on the story from California. There's a bill that would add a section to the penal code of California requiring courts, whenever they have the authority to determine a prison sentence to quote, rectify alleged racial racial bias in the criminal justice system by taking into account how historically persecuted minorities are affected differently than others. It is the intent of the legislature to rectify the racial bias that has historically permeated our criminal justice system as documented by blah, blah, blah. But And what they're saying basically so if you're a thug, um, uh, an African-American thug, and your great-grandfather 40 years ago might have gotten a stiffer sentence than a, than a white counterpart 40 years ago before you were born, because of that injustice done to your great-grandfather, we're going to try to rectify that injustice from 40 years ago by instructing the judge to give you a lighter sentence than somebody of a different race. Now, between the two, the doorbell camera and that piece of uh, legislation about trying to rectify uh, the, the you know injustices of the past by giving people lighter sentences today, which one is the stupidest one in your opinion? Yeah, this is this is a tough one. I, I usually have a pretty clear winner as to who I would pick personally, and this is tough because I 
I highly disagree with both of them. Uh, I have a ring doorbell, as do many of my neighbors, and if my doorbell picks up a crime, I'm going to turn that police footage or the footage over to the police, regardless of race. I don't care who who you are. I'm going to um, send that video over. And the the justice sentencing that's also you know you, you I think everything not, should be uh, I should be calculated on that instance and only that instance. Yeah, you can't undo whatever injustices may have occurred 40 or 50 years ago mm-hmm. by changing something today. The past is the past. Yeah. And and you know and if two guys steal a car, they should get the same, you know, two guys steal a car at gunpoint, they should get the same sentence and we it yeah. d- doesn't really matter how your great grandfather was you know, was treated in, you know, in 1939 yeah. or whatever. So um, anyway, I'd be interested to hear from our listeners which one they think is more stupid, that having a ring door bell camera contributes to racial profiling or if uh, sentencing people of color or no, let's hope this bill in California never makes it to the governor's desk. And if it does, that he doesn't sign it. Uh, by the way, there is something called, I believe, the 14th Amendment called equal under the U.S. Constitution. It's called equal justice under the law. So even if it got passed, it might get ruled unconstitutional. But I'm just shaking my head at California. Where do these people come up with? But that, this is the same state, by the way. You know, I, uh, I I feel like we tend to shake our heads at California quite a bit on this show. <laughs> um, and by the way, it's I guess it's no surprise that California is one of the top three states in the union that's, that's losing population. Uh, and of course, the 500,000, it's still working its way through the legislature, but there is a proposal um, or a recommendation by the committee uh, to award... F- Five million dollars in reparations. It used to be five hundred thousand. They've now upped it to five million in reparations to every African American resident in the state uh, for slavery, even though slavery was never legal in in California. Yeah, yeah I was going to say it was never it was never a thing in California. It was the Eastern Seaboard where right. it was, and right, and the, and the South, and the South. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's still alive and well. The, the number gets bigger and bigger. All right, here's a quickie. Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, he he started off his career as a cop in New York City. And in 1987, a guy he a cop he used to work with was killed in the line of duty. And Eric Adams has frequently, you know, has um, frequently referred to, you know, the death of his one-time partner. And he has told people, and I to this day, I carry a, a pic, I've carried a picture of him in my wallet ever since. Well, a couple of weeks ago, a reporter from the New York Times said, uh, Mayor Adams, could we see the picture you've been carrying around in your wallet for 40 years? Um, and, he, you know, he so it, it turns out uh, in response to that request, um, he, he never thought anybody would actually, he turns out somebody on his staff, a whistleblower called the New York Times and said, you know that picture that Eric Adams showed the reporter? Well, we <clears throat> we made that. We we found a picture of the guy on, on the internet. You know, we Googled. We printed it off in black and white. We wrinkled it up. We spilled coffee on it, and that's the picture that the uh, that we gave the mayor. That's the picture he showed you. And the reporter now has said, "Mayor, could we have? Could we borrow the picture and have it date test? You know, the date of the, you know how old's the paper, how old's the ink?" And he's refused to turn over the picture. So how's that for an embarrassing lie? Are you there, producer Susan? Yeah, no, I, I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm sad, sad to say, I'm not surprised. Another, another lying politician 
yep. was got got caught in an embarrassing lie. And yep. he swears he swears it's the real picture he's had for 40 years, yet he refuses to turn it over to be date verified. All right. More stupid politicians. All right. Uh, the the uh, Colorado Regional Air Quality Board, which um, is uh, responsible, it's it's a it's a regional. They call it regional because it's only Denver, Boulder, uh, Fort Collins. Uh, it, it's only a couple of cities. Anyway, they have announced that they're going to be in in, in order to quote fight climate change, they're going to impose next year a ban on gas powered lawn equipment. Um, now, and so this is Denver, which by the way, doesn't have a lot of grass. Denver is, you know, 85% concrete, you know, paved roads, office buildings, not, mm -hmm. a, not a whole lot of grass in Denver. Denver is also where Denver International Airport is located. So let's compare if you did, in fact, well, they've already said they're going to, they're going to impose this ban. Let's compare how much uh fossil fuels are burned by lawn equipment in the 20 weeks of summer versus how much uh fossil fuel is burned by the jets taking off at denver international airport anyway typical lawnmower three horsepower engine burns a gallon and a half an hour weed whacker eighth eighth horsepower engine quarter of a gallon per hour leaf blower eighth eighth horsepower engine quarter <clears throat> quarter a gallon per hour and by the way you typically use them once a week and maybe you use them for five months, 20 weeks of the year. Um, so if we, so if we generally assume that uh, use for one hour a week, that would be two gallons of fuel once per week for all those 20, 20 summer. So how does that amount to, how does that compare to the amount of fossil fuels burned by commercial jets and tractor trailers traversing the Denver area each week? Yeah. I won't take and, you and does this apply though to commercial property? So the the few grassy areas that are in Denver are yes, city it would parks. apply to landscaping companies, right? So if you happen to have an office building where you pull in, and typically between the parking lot and the front door of the building, you might have the little sloped. But what about might... city-owned parks? So there's a lot of parks in Denver that are city-owned. Are those those are city employees? Are they going to pay their city employees the the manual labor to use the manual push mowers. No, no, battery, right. battery, battery, battery. Battery. And this gets good. So I won't take you through the, all the math, but but here's if a 737 taking off, by the way, burns. The burn rate of a 737 during takeoff is 3,000 gallons an hour. That's during the takeoff roll where you're at maximum throttle. And for the first 15 minutes, they're also climbing out at max power. Anyway, if I take if I take you through the... That's 800 gallons per per takeoff, uh, and there's 1,600 takeoffs per day. That's 1.28 million gallons of jet fuel burn per day. And by the way, jets. Don't, last time I looked, jet engines don't have catalytic converters or any other type of emission controls like cars do. That's nine million gallons of jet fuel being burned in Denver every week. Um, not counting emissions from other aircraft, from Centennial, Front Range, Boulder, etc. Tractor trailers, you've got 4,000 tractor trailers going through the Denver area. Denver is the at the intersection of Interstate 20, North-South 25 and East-West I-70. And those tractor trailers, that's another 280,000. Anyway, adding the 9 millions of, of jet fuel that is burned uh, to the tractor trailers, that's almost 10 millions of fossil fuels being burned by tractor trailers and uh, jets in Denver every week. So... 
if you were in fact to get rid of those uh, 10,000 lawnmowers, and I generally assume, let's assume there's 10,000 lawnmowers, um, the amount of fossil fuels that you would save from being burned would be 0.1%, uh, 0.1%. And that's like counting the fossil fuels being burned by the passenger vehicles. Uh, oh, and did I forget to mention that 64% of Colorado's electric power is produced by the burning of coal and natural gas, which means that if, if you did, in fact, replace those gas-fired lawn equipment with battery-powered, you're going to offset whatever savings there might be by at least 64% because you will have to burn fossil fuels to recharge the batteries. So is that about the most stupid thing you've ever heard? I mean, my father had a saying... If you want to put that in perspective, he would have referred to that 0.1% saving as the equivalent of a fart in a gale of wind. Uh, do you have any? You know, this, and, and this time of year, the grass doesn't really grow in Denver, but yet DIA is one of the busiest commercial airports in the country. And Centennial is one of the busiest, I don't know what you want to call it, executive airports in the country. Uh, it's one of the busiest private. Private, private airports, airports in, in, the in the country, not not municipal, municipal, municipal airports in the country. So right. you have two of the busiest airports in the country in Denver. By the way, they would do far more. Remember, I said sixteen hundred flights a day. The city has the ability to regulate takeoffs and landings. All the city would have to do is say, "Hey, you know, instead of sixteen hundred flights a day, we're going to put a cap at um, fifteen hundred and eighty flights a day." And that mm -hmm. twenty flight a day reduction would save a hundred times more reduction in fossil fuels and banning lawnmowers, but they won't go there, will they? Mm -mm. No. <laughs> and I know there's a natural phenomenon, and I, I probably can't explain this very well, but there's a natural phenomenon because of the Rocky Mountains of the way the jet stream comes over the Rockies and how the, the winds kind of roll into the city and kind of hover over the city. So the smog in the city and that front range does tend to kind of linger contributing to the air quality of Denver and Boulder and, and Fort Collins. You'll occasionally get something called an inversion. Normally warm air rises and the air, the, and, um, and normally the area is, is get, gets cooler as you go, as you go higher occasionally because it's in somewhat of a bowl, the air above will actually be colder, trapping the cold, the, the warm air down below. And when you do get the inversion, which is not all the time, it happens, you know, maybe 30 days a year, you'll get an inversion where there's still air and you get smog, but it's it's way, way better than it's been, particularly since they've started mandating uh, emission control devices on internal combustion engines. Mm -hmm. So it's nowhere near the problem it used to be. But that's what that's what Colorado's doing in the city of Denver. You won't be able to use a gas-powered lawnmower or weed whacker in two more years. All right. Um, I was watching the news. I'm going to segue to, there is no segue, but I was watching the news here. And um, New York City has had, has had an influx of 74,000 illegal aliens in the past 12 months. Now, let me put that number in perspective. New York City has a population of 7 million people. So 74,000 is a mere 1%. 1%. If you listen to the mayor, it is a cataclysm. We don't know where to put these people. We don't know how to feed these people. We don't know how to provide medical care for these people. It's going to cost us $4.4 which, by the way, works out to $60,000 per person per year, which I think is outrageous. Now, if a 1% increase in the population of a city the size of Manhattan or New York City 
is creating a cataclysm. If you look at cities on the border like Eagle Pass or El Paso or Brownsville, where they've had their population increase by more than 10%, how do you think those cities are, what do you think the impact on those cities are compared to a, a tiny 1% population in New York City? Yeah, I, I'd be curious to know how these other smaller municipalities and cities are dealing with this. I mean, I think the population in New York is eight, eight million people. Well, it's more than seven. That's why. That's why I said seven. That's why I said seventy-four thousand yeah. is less than one percent. But the point is, th those cities are struggling, you know, or having even a greater burden put upon them. But they don't get the press. Mm -hmm. You know, the the of course, a, a lot of the East Coast press is is based in New York City. So New York City is getting all the press, but if you believe what Mayor Adams is saying about how a 1% increase in population due to illegal immigration is a cataclysmic event, just think of what it's doing to, to these towns in like El Paso and Eagle Pass and Brownsville mm -hmm. and McAllen, Texas. Uh, but you'll never hear about that on the news. Mm -hmm. So uh, the good news is that hopefully uh, as he continues to ask Washington for aid, that the pressure to do something about immigration control will have an effect because of uh, because of all of the publicity that the problems that illegal immigration is is creating is causing. So that's and where's all that aid coming from? Your, your tax, tax dollars at work. Your tax dollars at work. Uh, yep, he's he's asking the he's asking Biden for four billion dollars, uh, which is sixty thousand per person per year. Um, <laughs> So that, for that would family, be a nice salary for some of those people. Well, remember, if you're a family of four, that works out to 240,000. Remember, if you're a husband and wife yeah. with two little kids, that's a quarter million dollars per year. They'd be better off just writing that family of four a check. Here's a family of four, you know, you know, go to North Carolina and buy yourself a house. I'm, I'm absolutely I dead serious. I might want to become an immigrant. <laughs> well, but, I, I don't need documentation, right? You don't need documentation, right? Um. <laughs> And if you go to California, they'll give you $300 a week in unemployment insurance without even having to prove no that you ever worked. So, all right. All right. Um, you know, I came across an interesting thing. Um, I think you've well, you've seen the show, How America Works with Mike Rowe. Yes. Uh, and he did, yeah. uh, you know, he, he, he highlights different. And one week it'll be, uh, you know, people who make concrete. In other words, people who make glass. Some people, people make uh, hand tools. Last week he did one on um, the farming, the farming industry in this country, and some amazing statistics and how it's impact our quality of life today. Uh, in 1870, half of all the workers in this country were agricultural employees, mm -hmm. which means that each worker was feeding just three people, including themselves. In other words, one worker would feed produced enough agricultural products, meaning grains and and meat, to feed themselves plus two more people. Which meant there were there weren't a lot of other um, people available to to do to work at other industries. Mm -hmm. By 1900, that figure had dropped to just one third of all workers. <clears throat> By 1950, it had fallen to just one fifth or 20 percent of the workforce, meaning that one person could feed a total of five, including themselves. Do you know what that number is today? What percentage of our workforce uh, is well, works in the agricultural industry? I'm going to guess it's really low, like probably only, what, maybe 10%? Oh, way, way high. <clears throat> the U the size of the U.S. labor force is 163 million uh, people. And then no those working in agricultural, either farming or ranching, is just 2.5 million, which is just 1.5% wow. of the work. 
1.5% of the workforce, which means that one agricultural worker today is feeding more than 150 people. One, one worker is feeding more than 150 people. Now, what are the what ha, what how what impact did that have on our economy and quality of life? That shift freed up tens of millions of Americans who could then begin working in other industries such as automobile production, steel production, road construction, and building construction. If you didn't free up all those people from agricultural, you wouldn't you wouldn't have remember Henry Ford and the Model T and Carnegie mm -hmm. and Steel. Those people wouldn't have been available to 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 uh, to staff and man those industries. Without the technical innovation that produced inventions such as the cotton gin, uh, grain combines, hay balers, combined with a capitalist system that enabled farmers to borrow money to buy equipment, that kind uh, to buy that kind of equipment, and the and the tractors that need, were needed to operate them, the U.S. would not become the economic powerhouse that has become today. That's one of the reasons the U.S. leaped ahead. Most farmers didn't have the money to buy a tractor. When tractors you know, first became commercially viable, farmers didn't have the, the modern day equivalent of $30,000, $40,000 to buy a tractor. But banks, because of our capitalist banks said, okay, we will lend you the money to buy the tractor. We'll use the tractor's collateral. And we believe that with that tractor, you'll be able to produce more goods and services and pay the loan back. So think about it, technical innovation, the invention of all this mm -hmm. mechanized equipment combined with a capital system that was willing to lend farmers money to buy it is really what uh, allowed or enabled the United States to move from primarily an agricultural economy to an industrial economy. Yeah, and um, you know, the, without farmers though, we are not eating food. We're not eating food. And again, today, each farmer is feeding 150 other people. Just, a, just an amazing statistic. Everything from vegetables to meat to milk, dairy, eggs, you got every, everything. Oh, and by the way, and I'm really underestimating that because that 150 people is only counting the Americans who consume that. Mm -hmm. We export enormous amounts of grains and meat and chicken products overseas. So if you add in the amount of people we're feeding overseas, you know, we, we export millions of tons of uh, for crops like soybeans every year and so if you take into account the food products we export i'm sure it's closer to 200 to one so mm -hmm. um and it was also by the way able to free up tens of million people from the drudgery of low value you know value you know back harvesting grains you know by hand was incredibly drudge drudgery low value work you know cutting wheat with a hand sickle and then tying it up into bundles can you imagine how doing that eight hours a day, five yeah, days? Yeah, and you know, when it comes to, I mean, now there's are those, I there are those big machines that, you know, cut the grain and everything. But when it comes to some of your fruits and vegetables, they still need to be handpicked today because they're too delicate for that machinery. Well, not necessarily. I've seen that machines that I watched. In fact, I watched yesterday a machine that now uh, picks blueberries. Oh, wow. They, yep. A machine that will pick blueberries. It goes through, it shakes the bushes. And the blueberries fall off. And uh, I've seen machines that pick wow. apples now. They shake the tree and the apples fall off. So they're working more and more. But you're right. Think crops like lettuce. And, you know, they need to. By the way, carrots are now all, all dug by machine. Machine goes down and digs up the carrots. Uh, corn is harvested with machines now. But you're right. Some crops like lettuce and strawberries still need to be done by hand. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about the reliability of, um, quote, green power. Over over last weekend, a 4.4 megawatt solar farm in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, uh, that employed sophisticated sun tracking panels. These were solar panels that were mounted on motorized uh, uh, a motorized track that could tilt to keep the keep the panels facing directly into the sun as long as possible. Was destroyed by baseball size hail in 15 minutes. 15 minutes, boom! Right. Baseball size hails wiped out a $25 million uh, solar farm. Um, now at an average, now that event raises the questions, how reliable is solar power? Now we've had power outages. We get a we get a hurricane, boom, knocks down the power lines. How long is the power out for? Two days, a week maybe? Yeah. When you destroy- yeah, I think Sandy was probably out for a week, right? But, right, worst, I mean, you know, worst case- um, but when you get, when you knock out a solar power, what do you think the rebuild time is going to be if they even decide to rebuild it? What do you think is going to, is, it's not going to be a week. It's not going to be even a month to rebuild a, um, be months to a year at, at minimum. Yeah. Maybe six months if they run like hell, assuming those solar panels were available. So again, when we look, talk about the reliability of solar power, you know, in addition to periods when you, you have no sun for two or three days, mm-hmm. um, when you get an event like this, you know, you, you cannot, you know, bet the ranch, if you will, on solar panel. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're probably getting close to running out of time. How much time we have? Yep. 10 minutes? Uh, you only have about five minutes or so. All right. Real quick, I'm going to play this YouTube clip. Uh, here's another Biden official advocating that we we uh, give more uh, government incentives for solar power, for uh, electric vehicles. And we've already talked about how the U.S. electric grid is already being strained. Well, this congressman asked this official who says, yeah, we need to incentivize people to buy more electric vehicles. The congressman asked him a simple question. Here we go. How much electricity does the United States demand each year? I don't know that number off the top of my head. Okay, it's four terawatts annually. Mm -hmm. So the Secretary of Energy didn't know it. The EPA doesn't know it. FERC probably doesn't know it. Who else doesn't know it in this country? And we're mandating electric vehicles. You guys have no idea how much demand is going to be there. Where is that electricity going to come from? Uh, Come from uh, a diverse grid. It's 110 degrees in my hometown today. The wind is not blowing. The sun is shining. And after four hours of darkness, there will be no batteries on this planet that can produce a reliable source of baseload dispatchable power. We have no plan for this. So what do you think uh, of the question and the guy's inability? Yeah, I'm surprised that he didn't know the answer. Yeah. You know, when, you, when you're going in front of these committees, you need to have your your stuff together and right there in front of you. This, this pattern, remember a couple of weeks ago about the when they were advocating for CO2 controls and somebody asked, he asked the question, what percentage of our, what percentage of our, uh, uh, atmosphere mm-hmm. of co2 and nobody had the slightest idea yeah. what the answer was it, it's embarrassing when these people you need to be prepared for these answers they, they really do um all right we're going to go move on right to our taxpayer relief shot i probably don't have time for the intro i don't think we do um, uh, you could play one of them all right here we go here's what we call it, here's why we call them taxpayer relief shots so here's the sheriff of santa rosa county of florida oh, 
somebody's breaking in your house, you're more than welcome to shoot them in Santa Rosa County. We prefer that you do, actually. Hopefully, you'll save the taxpayers money. Again, uh, you when you when the thug is shot and killed, no jury trial and no prison in 75,000 a year. All right. San Antonio, Texas. Here we go. That guy's making a withdrawal from a uh, drive-up ATM when two guys come up and try to rob him. Here we go. An ATM melee. He was trying to get cash. Two other men tried to take it. Instead, they were shot and killed. That is a word from San Antonio police today about a deadly shooting at a Chase Bank on the south side. Police say that man who pulled the trigger was at the ATM when he says the men he killed tried to rob him. John Paul Barajas has our top story. Crime scene tape surrounds a drive-through portion of a Chase Bank off I-35 in Southwest Military. Evidence markers scattered through the parking lot, and a car was left with a cluster of bullet holes while another car looked like it was driving away and just made it out of the parking lot or coming to a stop in the grass. Individual withdrawing, withdrawing money from the ATM. Two suspects approach him, try to rob him. He shoots at them, kills both. San Antonio Police Chief William McManus tells us all three people involved were in their 20s, but he wasn't sure if the robbery suspects had any weapons on them at the time of the shooting. He had this message for residents in the area. There's no continuing danger to anyone in the area. It was a robbery that didn't go well. But when asked about the crime that is alleged, people robbing someone as they pull out money, also known as jugging. It's been a trend throughout the country right now, and we believe at this point, again, this could change that this was a jugging incident. As to the man that was pulling money out of the ATM and shot the two alleged robbers, SAPD has taken him down for questioning, but at this time, they do not believe they'll be facing any charges. Back out here, the ATMs are now back up and running. By the way, whether or not these guys had weapons or not is irrelevant. If there are two mm -hmm. men who are capable of overpowering you, yep. um, you can have a reasonable fear for your life. Now, they, they may very well have been on. They may have had, they may have also had guns. They may have also had knives. We don't know. That's probably going to come out. But even if they didn't, the fact that there are two men who are capable of overpowering you represents yeah. a reasonable fear of death or bodily injury. So he was totally justified in doing what he was doing. Anyway, uh, unless you've got anything to add, Producer Sue, I'm going to try to wrap it up here before we run out of time. Anything you want to add? Nope. All right. Well, uh, I want to thank you who listened to this podcast for giving up 30 minutes of your day. Hope you found it interesting. If you have any questions or suggestions, uh, just send them to me at joe at jerseyjoe.com, J-E-R as in Robert, Z as in zebra, J-E-R-Z-E-E, -E -E, jerseyjoe.com. Uh, you can find this uh, on the, you'll find this on the website at uh, jerseyjoe.com. And with that, I'll say goodbye. Or and, on any of your favorite podcast channels. Or, or any podcast, podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. All right. With that, we'll end and uh, producer Sue talk to you next week. Yep. Next stay time. safe. Stay safe. Bye bye.